0: My name's Jordan. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege to open God's Word with you today. We are starting a new series uh, in the book of Malachi. Here at the Journey, we generally do preach through books of the Bible. We uh, had just finished a series on um, God's design for our gender and sexuality, so uh, if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and, and look through that, and then we are, uh, we'll take... Uh, Malachi all the way up to, I think, the week before Christmas, and then we will jump into the Gospel of John for our Christmas uh, services, which, by the way, we will have Christmas falls on a Sunday this year, so we'll be here at 10 o'clock. You and your family are welcome for an abbreviated but traditional and beautiful um, time of just celebrating on Christmas uh, Day. Um, And so we will will start in the Gospel of John, and then we're just going to stay in the Gospel of John for a good long while. We'll probably take some breaks, but we'll be in that for... uh, at no less than a year, maybe more, and uh, it's it's a rich, uh, just narrative story of, of Jesus and, and all of uh, so many of his encounters, and a beautiful perspective from from John, one of his disciples. And so that's the that's the plan. So we'll be in Malachi here for I think six or seven weeks. Just so you know, my youngest son is named Malachi, and we call him Moose. And so if you hear me interchange that and say the Book of Moose, that's what's going on. I'm not I'm not trying to be a heretic, and I'm not I might just be sleepy, but. Um, Malachi means God's messenger, uh, or the messenger of the Lord. Uh, That is um, the title of the book, and most scholars would believe the the actual name of the author of the book, who was a um, a prophet sent to give um, a message to God's people, to a people that were hurting, a people that were um, pretty... Kind of angry at God, or at least kind of distanced, because things weren't going the way that they thought that they would. Can anybody relate? I, I think even if I'm being honest, this morning um, this is not the way my I wanted my Sunday morning to go. So far, just some chaos with kids and uh, getting here later than than I'd hoped, and I'm just feeling just disconnected and not really prepared in the way that that I usually am, and just kind of struggling, and then just hearing the. The worship service and, and and the word that Stacy shared, I have no idea she was going to share, but uh, knew a little bit of, of what she was going through. But just the, the theme of the worship service, but the the um, the Lord just reminded me that he, he's going before me, and, and he has a word for us, his people, uh, because he cares enough to speak to his people, and that's exactly what he did. That's what is what he does often, and that's what he has done through the book of Malachi. He he sent a prophet named Malachi to speak a word to his people, his people who were struggling. And so as we jump into that, um, we're going to hear about the love of God. And, and, and the Lord's going to have to do a little bit of work to explain the love of God today. And, and the, um, like sometimes we, we understand that. And I think the, the, the clearest context to which we can relate to love needing to be explained is parenting. Um, whether you've been a parent or, or not, you've had a parent. And, and maybe anybody else, did anybody else run away when they were a kid or try yeah, yeah. I remember I was like 9 or 10, and I was like, I'm done with this. And I told my mom, I'm leaving. And in my mind, I had one of those sticks and like a, like a <laughs> handkerchief package on the back, like a, like a hobo stick thing. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know when I would have made that in my anger of leaving. Maybe I had it ready. I don't know if this was premeditated running away. But in my mind, I did. And I, we lived way out in the country on a gravel road. And, um, and so I just started walking down the road, and I was like, I'm out. And and I got, you know, like a quarter mile down the road. I could kind of see going around this curve. And I'm waiting, like, is she going to come? Like, is she going to apologize yet? Like, <laughs> she, I'm leaving. Like, don't she care? Like, you know, and just like she's, I know she's probably watching through the window. Just la- like, I don't even know. But, uh and I, and I started around the curve. And around the curve, there was like tree, like, it's like a different view. I can't see my house anymore. And like, I was like, ah. <gasps> All right, I'll go back. <laughs> Maybe it's not that bad at home, right? And, but but what was go- I don't even know what was going on, but I was angry that I wasn't getting my way. That, that was really what it boiled down to. For some reason, my mom was being a mom and loving me um, with not letting me do whatever I wanted to do, and I wasn't having it. I was ready to, I was ready to leave. And so uh, there had to be some conversations about what love actually looks like because when you're the one being loved in that way, fathered or, or mothered or, or disciplined, Sometimes we have sort of a, a buck against that and we think that actually we're right and we got some, you know, we got some words for mom and dad, right? Well, that's kind of where the people of Israel are in this moment, really of, of Judah, but they're referred to as Israel. We'll get into that in just a moment. But they are kind of in this place where they feel like they've, they've done what they're supposed to do. They've done their part. And they got some, they got some beef with God. They got some, some things they want to point out to him, and so they feel a little bit entitled to not really fully obey God. They, they, they are not like a lot of the other people that prophets are sent to write to, where they've totally abandoned um, their, their, their worship of God, and they have idol worship going on, and statues, and things like that. That's not who Malachi's writing to. He's writing to a group of people. They go to church. They're doing their thing. They, they, they know they believe in God. They're, they're, you know, they, that's... They're not in blatant idolatry, but they've got some animosity between them and God. They've got some distance emotionally, spiritually between them and God. And they actually don't see it as a problem. They think they're in the right. That's who Malachi is sent to speak to. So let's dive in and we'll get a little bit more of context as we as we get in today. But that is really the, the theme of today, is introduction introducing the book in general, but then also uh, unpacking just a bit the love of God. What is the basis for God's love for us, and what is the, the actual nature of that love? And so uh, let's, we're just going to do the first five verses today. But it starts out with the oracle of the word of the Lord to, to Israel by Malachi. That word oracle... Uh, is often translated burden. So, so if you're unfamiliar with what a prophet is, you've heard me say that a few times. And uh, most, if, if you're familiar with your Bible, there's Old Testament New Testament. Mo, uh, the, the last several books in the Old Testament are, are going to be uh, men's names, and those are prophets. Those are men that, that God uh, sent or, or uh, gave a word to to go and speak on his behalf To his people, and so God, once He established His people as a nation, He he put in place for them uh, eventually kings that would rule from an administrative, uh, national standpoint. He put in place for them priests who would who would uh, intercede on their behalf and and uh, be in charge of the religious uh, rituals and make sure the sins were atoned for and really just be a present uh, comfort. Um, and, and just with the people, and then he would also employ prophets, which were to, sent to speak on the behalf of God, often to correct, to confront, and to call out the sins of the people. And and so Malachi is one of those uh, men. And and when it says an oracle, it's really it's really communicating that God has called Malachi to go speak to a people, and it is it is a it is a burning desire in him. I think it's Jeremiah that says it is is, is uh, it burns within him that this this burden that he has to get out to the Lord. Uh, that 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 is very common. I can relate in, in in smaller degrees as a pastor as a preacher. There are times when the the Lord just burdens you and, and really just begins to speak through. Like you've heard pastors say that, "Lord, speak through me." And and there's times whenever that's just more clear than others where God has just. Uh, really he's got a word for his people and he intends to use a, a human mouthpiece to do that. And so uh, Malachi says, hey, I've got a burden of which God has called me to share, a, a, a an oracle. Uh, and, and And this is the same kind of language that these people... Uh, would have been familiar with from Moses. Moses spoke to the people on God's behalf. Moses uh, went up on the mountain and was with God and and spoke to God and and had this communion with God, right? And the people would gather and they would wait and Moses would go up on the mountain and he would come down, his his face would be glowing just from being in the presence of God and then he would deliver what the the Lord had said to them. This is the same kind of language there. What what has the Lord said? What burden has he given you or given given you for us? And so uh, for this book to start out this way, this is Malachi Establishing the similar authority as Moses, saying, "Hey, you're God's people, and God has spoken to you, and He and He's given me this word for you to hear." And so, this is how it starts. And again, His name is uh, the Messenger of the Lord. And, and some would say that, that this is just a general. Uh, maybe it's another prophet who's who's writing and just saying, "Hey, I'm I'm here very clearly as a messenger." Others would say, no, this is actually his name. Uh, I, I don't know that it matters a ton, but the, the, all the other evidence, really, the, the way the other prophets start out by uh, writing, you know, introducing their books, their letters uh, in the same way, it, it does seem that this is indeed a man named Malachi. He doesn't really appear anywhere else in the scriptures, um, but it, it is a unique book in that it is the last book of prophecy that we have, uh, both chronologically and in our Old Testament, as far as the last um, word from the Lord before the New Testament, before 400 years of silence. This is God's last word from Him. Now, it's not the last chronological book as far as history. We we actually we we think that He falls somewhere in between Nehemiah and Ezra, which are the the most uh, you know um, the most contemporary of the Old Testament kind of. Uh, narrative or historical books, and and so all scholars believe that Malachi is ministering in that same period of Nehemiah and Ezra, perhaps in between or right in the same um, time even supporting the message and work that they're doing. And if you know what's going on in that time, this is a people who have come back from exile. So God, God has. Uh, if, if you just a quick narrative, uh, as they said earlier, God writes a long story. You're going to see that that's part of what He's going to remind them of in chapter five or in verse five here today. That's where this is going to end. He's going to say, "Hey, like the Lord's name is going to be praised outside the borders of Israel." I have a bigger picture. I have a bigger plan that I'm writing. That's exactly the message that he's going to communicate. And so, but just for us to get a little bit of the backstory, God makes for himself a people. You know the story of of Exodus, him getting them out of Egypt. He brings them out. He says, I'm going to make you a people. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. He gives them laws. He gives them presence. He gives them presence with a a C, right? Not with a T. Uh, He gives them his presence, right? He's there with them. And, and he tells them in those moments in Exodus, and it's, it's affirmed again in Deuteronomy, hey, live this way, and this is going to go well for you. I'm going to, I'm going to send you to a land. It's going to, go, it's going to go well. This land is awesome. and It's going to be blessed so much so that the rest of the world will take note and say, hey, whoever they're worshiping, that's the true God, because it's going really well. But he says, if you disobey, if you walk away from me and my commands, then, then you'll end up away from this land. You'll end up in exile. And and if you know, I, I'm, I'm blazing through hundreds of years of history here, but if you know the story, they, they don't stay faithful to God. And He does indeed allow them to um, be carried off into exile. If you were with us a couple years ago when we walked through the book of Daniel, you know that that was a part, uh, like that was, it was written about some of the young men being carried off from Jerusalem into Babylon, and, and, and that there was a period of exile, 70 years, and then a total destruction that came later of the temple. And so God allowed his people to be punished through the use of pagan nations, taking them over. God is disciplining his people. God hasn't left his people, but he is disciplining his people. And they stay there for years, and their temple and their city is torn down, and then Cyrus decrees that they can go home. He says, you can go home. You can go and rebuild your temple you you can be, you can worship your own God, you can have religious liberty, you're still going to be a part of the Persian Empire, but you can go home. And so about a hundred years or so before Malachi um, writes this book, that's what happened. They're sent home and they, and they rebuild the temple and it's not quite the same, but they've rebuilt the temple and they're there. And and they're banking on this promise of restoration that had come. Even whenever Moses said, hey, if you don't do this, there will be exile, there will be punishment, he he tacked on this hope, but God will restore what he's built. And so the other prophets had come along and said the same thing, God will restore. Well, they're in this place now where they've been sent back. And they have religious liberty, but they're still under the rule of Persia. And, and, And they have their temple, but it's like churches isn't really the same. We're not really seeing God's presence. We're not seeing Him at work. They're economically struggling, right? They don't have good industry. They've been doing a lot of work just to rebuild their city, but the taxes that they're having to pay back to Persia, they're just crippling. So they're in economic distress. They're in political distress because they're not an autonomous sovereign nation, right? They're under Persia rule. They're in um, spiritual destitution. They're in a place where they are not feeling loved by God. And that's exactly what God comes to confront. That's the burden that God has sent Malachi to speak into. He sees his people feeling far from him. He sees his people not connected to him. He sees his people uh, wondering if indeed he is good. And instead of just not caring, setting back and waiting for them to figure it out, he sends Malachi to draw near and to confront. But with with and with the purpose of reminding them of his love. So this book is going to be full of uh, what the commentaries were called disputations, right? Where they're they're confronting an issue or God will confront an issue and then the, the people would go, yeah, but this. And then God explains and corrects them. And so there's going to be several of those. But before God gets into the correcting He's going to draw near and connect. Before he corrects, he's going to draw near and connect. You may know that as just a good parenting principle, right? He he cares enough to get down on our level and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come here. Come here. We got some stuff to talk about. But I need you to know I love you. That is what God is doing here in the first five verses of Malachi. So he he just starts out by saying that very thing. I've loved you, verse 2, says the Lord. But you say... How have you loved us? Okay, so, so there's this, this, this call and response, this, this statement, and then the, the response of the people. So Malachi is, is, is representing the common uh, attitude and worldview of the people. Even though this may not be explicitly what they would have said, Malachi knows this is what they're struggling with in their heart. God knows this is what they're struggling with in their heart. Have you ever had that disconnect? Right? People ask you how you are. You're like, I'm good in reality you're like i don't know you don't seem good right and you and you say yeah god's good god's good all the time but you know that that's not actually what you're experiencing you know that you don't you don't really believe that and you're really struggling deep down and so this may not be what the people would have explicitly said with their mouths in response but this is what is representative of of their hearts posture they say how is that true god you say you love us but like how? What, do you, what in our circumstances say that you are loving us right now? Because it doesn't feel like you love us. This is the kid that, that's, that's running away because they don't feel like mom and dad love them because they won't let them do what they want to do. So they're not feeling loved, right? But, but, but more than that, th- this is a hurt people. This is a people who are, are operating out of a wound. This is a people who are responding out of a wound. And they're saying, listen, I don't know how I'm supposed to see your love right now, God. We're barely eating. There's no spiritual vitality in our, in our nation. We're supposed to be God's people. We don't, we don't see your presence anymore. This is not the grand city of Jerusalem that, that the you know, queens and kings used to come from everywhere to see. This is, this is barely noteworthy. They're not feeling love. They're, they're feeling like a people who are struggling, people who feel like they're abandoned, and they're responding out of a place of woundedness. And so God says, Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Well, that's really helpful, God. Thanks. I was really wondering how you loved me, but sure, Esau is Jacob's brother, right? Like, what's he like? You're like, it's not helpful, right? This is what the Lord says. And, and he goes on, and declares the Lord, yet. I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. Now these are some interesting terms and bring up some theological uh, questions. But let's just let's 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 read a little bit more of it before we begin to unpack. He says, uh, "Is not Esau Jacob's brother?" Declares the Lord. Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country, and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord says, yeah, you might rebuild, but I'm going to tear it down, and, and your country will be called the wicked country the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Here's what God is doing. He's going to connect them back to their roots, and he's going to use a story of two brothers that they would be very familiar with that actually is part of the birth of their uh, nationality, their, 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 their identity as the people of God. He goes back to two men named Jacob and Esau. And if you're unfamiliar with Jacob and Esau, these are... Um, and th- these are some of the patriarchs of the faith. So God calls Abraham to be, the f- you know, he's Father Abraham, right? Y'all know that. He had many sons. Jacob and Esau are two of those sons, and I'm one of them, so are you. You know it, right? That's Father Abraham. He calls, he makes a nation, and this is, gonna, this is how he starts. He's going to make them a people. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau, and, and they're, they're twins. And, and from, the, from the, not even the jump, well, they're in the belly. They, these, get, these kids are fighting. Anybody have young boys, brothers, that, that you're like, yeah, what's with that, right? Yeah, they just fight. They're just like wrestling, fighting, right? We had three girls. We thought they were crazy. They are, but then the boys just leveled it up, man. They're 15 months apart, but they're the same size, and they just fight. Not, they're not mad all the time. They're just sometimes just like boards. They just go over and punch each other, and then they, they fight. And, and, and this is happening in the womb of Jacob and Esau. They're, they're wrestling. They're struggling with one another. And... And God even says in that moment, hey, the, the younger is going to serve the older. So in that, in that age, there was... Um uh, the firstborn had the the, the birthright which was the, the primary blessing of the family and so even in the, in the sense of twins whoever came out first whoever's born first is going to get that birthright but God is, is setting something up for them by saying yeah the, the, the younger's actually going to serve the older but there's this strife and so uh, we have Esau and we have Jacob and Esau his name means deceiver he's, he's like a con man right Esau is, is, a, is a hairy like he's a man's man and what we see is we get mom picks a favorite dad picks a favorite. there's a theme in Genesis, let, let me just tell you, parents, that doesn't go well. When you play favoritism in your home, it ends really badly. And so, that's just a, a theme in Genesis, and you should you should think about it. Um, but it doesn't go well. So Jacob is is a soft guy. He likes to he likes to cook and and um, and he's just more into you know the arts and, and you know he's probably wearing uh, maybe some Birkenstocks and, and Jacob's got his steel toes on, right? And 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 Jacob's out hunting and. And and uh, or Esau's out hunting and, and Jacob's maybe painting and and I don't I'm not I'm not trying to mock either one of those things I'm just telling you there's a difference and mom uh, is is a, is a big fan of, of Jacob and dad's a big fan of Esau and, and it causes this, this this strife but but here's what happens from the from the beginning God says I'm going to choose Jacob but but if you're reading the story you're going why because Jacob's a jerk and he lies. And he deceives. And you're like, well, but what about Esau? Well, I mean, he's not perfect, but honestly, if I were, like, yeah, I mean, he's just kind of like a dude's dude, out dude. Like, he's not really into any drama. And so you're like, I don't know. If I had to pick, I'd probably pick Esau. And God goes, yeah, yeah here's what God is teaching us. I don't pick that way. I don't choose based off of worthiness or... Uh, lovableness I, I choose based off of my own purpose and my own grace and so God is taking them back to this moment which is a theologically hard moment if we're all being honest but God is taking this people who are struggling people who are feeling abandoned people who are feeling like God doesn't love them taking them back to the to the basis of his love. If we're going to talk about God, do you love me? How have you loved me? Then God's going to actually go after the true answer there. God's going to actually expose what's going on in our heart, and, and he's not going to give us the answer we want. He's going to give us the answer we need. And he's going to go further into our questions than we even knew we had, and he's going to expose what What we're actually wrestling with and actually the true nature and basis for his love. And so the first thing he's going to expose is what is the basis for my love? You don't think I've loved you? I'm telling you I've loved you. You don't feel it. You don't know it. You're not sitting in it. You're not resting in it. Let me tell you about my love for you. How do you know that God has loved you? How many of you have wrestled with these moments of, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, if, if you love me, then why? And many of you know, like, those are critical moments in our walk with the Lord, aren't they? Because what we believe in those moments, what we resolve to, what we, what we just agree with will lead us to either fall on the Lord as our only hope or to begin to pull away out of self-protection. And we might continue our religious duties, we might continue in our faith, but we're far from the Lord. These are people who are wounded and, and their good father draws near to them and says, hey, I'm afraid you've misunderstood because you think that I love you because of something in you. You think I love you because you're lovable. You think I love you because you've earned it. And when you think that, that gets us off on the wrong foot relationally says God. Like, that's an issue. If you think you're entitled to my love, we're going to have real issues going through life because I have a bigger plan that you're not going to be able to see, and you're going to need to trust me even when things are hard. And I'm going to discipline you because I love you. Hebrews says that God disciplines those whom he loves, right? What disciplines? But he, Hebrews also says, it's not fun. You know, di- Hebrews actually goes on to say that. No discipline is enjoyable at the time. But in the end, it produces a harvest of righteousness, of good. But God says, if you are thinking that, hey, that my love for you is based off of something you've done and, and something inside of you, you're going you're to misunderstand what's coming down in your life. You're going to misunderstand what's ahead of you in your future. And you're going to misunderstand your present circumstances. So God reminds them, hey, my love is is, is actually just based on grace. What do you mean? Well, he says, aren't Jacob and Esau both brothers? They, they both come from the promised son of Isaac, who was the, the father, you know, from Abraham. Like, they're, they're both loved by God in, in that way, but but one of them I chose to, to, to show love in this way. The other I hated. Now, that word hate is is not what we would, 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 uh, would use it. It's not used in the way that we would use it. Because we, we think of hate and we're thinking of emotion, right? We're thinking of, uh, you know, this, this active anger and, and, you know, like actually want to do harm and, and this, this, this feeling, if you will. But the scripture uses hate in, in some different ways, in a, in a more broad way. Uh, Jesus uses the same word whenever he says, hey, you want to come follow me? Uh, whoever uh, is going to follow me is not worthy of me if they don't hate their father and mother or their husband and wife or even their child. And you're like, wait, <laughs> like, Jesus, whoa, bro, you're the, you're the God of love. Like, what, wh- who, why are you telling me to hate people? And, and I would just say, like, is that what Je- did Jesus actually mean that we have to hate our husband and our wife? Like, no, because later he's very clear. And earlier he was very clear we're supposed to love them. Right? Did Jesus hate his mother? No, he, he, he didn't. So what is he? What is he teaching in that moment? What he's teaching in that moment is saying, "Listen, if there's a there's a priority that has to be given. Whenever you start to follow Jesus, you you he's calling you to an all in abandoning of your life, and he's what matters most. He is your treasure, and he is your Lord. And when things come between you and him, or, or when other things of this world demand your." Um, demand your allegiance and and one of them is going to cause you to go this way but Jesus is calling you to go this way that you, in order to truly love him and honor him you have to be willing to choose him if it's up against your husband, your wife or even your kids. It's saying you, you have to be willing to give Jesus all of you and a full allegiance. Otherwise you are not actually worthy of following him. What's he saying? Uh, He's not calling us to this, well, you you just got to be better than everybody else. He's saying if your heart hasn't been gripped and overcome and overwhelmed in such a way that you've surrendered fully to Jesus, then you actually have missed the gospel and you're doing some religious activity. Because if you're just doing religious activity and thinking, man, okay, I got to earn my favor with God, I got to go to church, I got to do these things so that God loves me, and you know, Okay, it's kind of this bargaining deal. I'm mostly good. I've been to church most of this month, so I don't have to go, you know, you know, there's this opportunity for me to whatever, sleep in, whatever, go to this thing. And, and so we start to bargain, and we think, okay, I'm mostly good. If we if we have this kind of attitude toward our relationship with God, right? Then whenever things come up and we go and, and they're presented with well, you know. I know I'm supposed to do the Christian thing. I know I'm supposed to love God, but but this thing or this person really, really wants me to do this. Now, if you're just in this works-based deal where you're you're following God because it's the right thing to do and it's the moral thing to do, guess what gets easier and easier to do? It's to choose that thing or that person that really wants you to do this. How many of you have seen somebody led... Uh, away from their faith with a relationship with their boyfriend or a girlfriend? How many of you have seen people that have uh, gotten further and further from church and from the Lord because of their children and their children's uh, maybe sporting activities or or maybe just other desires, like the kids don't want to come or, or whatever it is. And so we, we start to just see where, where the, the things of this world begin to pull us away. And Jesus says, if, if you haven't, like, encountered me in such a way that it's a, it's a no-brainer. I, I've got to go with Jesus. Then you're going to be led astray, and you're going you're to end up not following him. And, and so that's, that's this idea of hating. He says if, if you're not willing to hate in that way as far as choose against whenever it's put up against the Lord, then, then that's kind of the language that Jesus is using, that word hate. It's, it's about this action. It's about priority. It's about where do we fall whenever we're holding things up for the Lord? Which, which are we choosing? So when he says, Jacob, I loved, and Esau, I hated, okay, there's, there's more going on than just God and his, and his affection or his feelings. And so still, though, many of you are wondering, how can God hate somebody? And how can God choose some people but not others? And, and this begins to get into a debate, and some of you are, are here, and you have, you know, maybe you really like theology, and you're already very clear on your camp of Arminianism or Calvinism or, you know, double predestination, and you've got all this stuff, and you're ready, like, you're like, all right, come on, this is going to be great. Well, I'm not here to fight with you. Um, people ask us, hey, are you Reformed or are you Calvin? I'm like, what does that mean? What do you mean? Because that takes on all sorts of different personalities in the world. And what we at The Journey are trying to be, and this is not a cop-out, we're just trying to be biblical. Okay, that, That's our hope, it's just to be biblical. Okay, and, and when we start to talk about some of those things, what we're often doing is, is, is trying to speak into things, into the specifics that God actually doesn't say a whole lot about. We're trying to fill in some gaps that God's not real clear on. I think there's Dr. Russell Moore that, that that kind of unpacked it that way. We're actually getting into some issues of, of mechanics and, and, and the how to, and whenever really that's not the emphasis of the scripture. And if you're like, what are you even talking about, Jordan? Well, there's this idea of God just said right here, like, I, I loved one, but I hated the other. I chose one, I rejected the other. Paul's gonna explain this later. He's gonna quote this verse in Romans 9 to explain to his other Jewish brothers like why some are choosing Jesus or some are following Jesus and some aren't, he quotes this verse. He says, Jacob, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. I, I had a purpose for Jacob, had nothing to do with his goodness, but I had a purpose for him, so I chose to use him. Esau, I, 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 I didn't choose him. You're like, man, what, what is this about? Well, well here's, what, here's the question we often ask in this situation. How could God not choose someone? How can a loving God actually love the whole world and then choose for some to just go to hell? And, and like, how could he do that? But now we're back to a similar place that the people of Israel were here. Because we're going, they were going, What God, we're your people. You don't seem to care about us. Edomites, they've been doing fine for years. We've been in exile. Our whole city's destroyed. How could you, God? And God goes, okay, wait, 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 wait. Who deserves what? Let's go back to Jacob and Esau, God says. Who, who deserved my love? Which one of them deserved to be chosen by God? The answer is, is neither. Neither answer is, is neither one of them did. They were both sinful, fallen, bad men. Neither of them were fit to be the person that God was going to carry on his lineage and eventually bring Jesus to bear through their life. Neither of them had deserved that. So the question is, is, is is kind of flawed from the start. How could God not choose some people? Well, the question is actually, how could God choose any of us? How, how could God actually care enough to, to save any of us? That's the question because if you ask who deserves it, well, well, nobody does. Who deserves God's love? Well, none of us. Romans 3, Romans 6, it makes it really clear that we've all fell short of God's standard of living. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody seeks God. Nobody chooses Him. Ephesians 2, we looked at that uh, last week. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Unable to save ourselves. Unable to respond. A- and, and that is the condition of the world. Lost. Period. So, so God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. who deserves to be loved? Which one of you? The answer is none. But he goes, but I have loved you. I have loved you. And it wasn't based on anything you did or who you are or... I loved you because I have loved you. I chose you. I chose you, and, and, I, and I, I loved you. So this isn't about, when, when you, we, we, here's what happens. Here's what's not helpful when we get into these conversations theologically. And, and, and just so you know, Calvinism, Arminianism, those sorts of things are extra-biblical like structures trying to, again, speak into something God's not super clear on. But, but the Bible has an emphasis on like, God loves the world, and, and he gives Jesus as an as invite to anyone who would come to him. And so the, the, this conversation from, from the scripture is never about, well, I, I mean, I'd like to be saved, but I don't know if I'm one of the elect. No. It, it's, it, that's not the posture of the scripture. It, people desiring to be with Jesus are, aren't going to be like, that, it's not, that's not how this works. It's not like, well, I might want to be saved, but I don't know if I'm one of the elect, so I'll just have to wait and see. No, no. If you have a desire to be with Jesus, that desire actually came from Jesus. He's calling you. He will get you. You are his. It's not about, well, I don't know if I'm really saved. No, that's, that's not the posture. And at the same time, there's very much an emphasis in the scripture of, like, God says, hey, you need, to, you need to respond to the work that I'm doing. Like, there's an emphasis on both him being sovereign and intervening to dead people and saving them, and at the same time, people having to respond to the work that God is doing. Both of those emphases are true, and when we try to choose one or the other, we get into some weird theology. It's not all that helpful. And so we, we, we want to preach the Bible. And guess what? The Bible talks about things like election and predestination. It talks about things that are, that are not really easily resolved in our Western minds of how God should do things. But nonetheless, it says, I've loved you. And my love for you is not based on anything you've done. It's just based on my grace alone. Period. So if you're here... You're hearing about God's love for you. You don't have to wonder if you're elect. You don't have to wonder if he would accept you. The Bible is very clear. You call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you're here with a desire to meet Jesus, then he will save you. This is not the purpose of these texts to be applied in those ways. It is to say that that we are people without hope, and God has showed up to that hopeless people and has spoke hope to them and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only way that you can be saved. And so God is saying to his people here in Judah, you're still my people. I've loved you. And I know you've been in exile. But if you'll read back, I told you that was going to happen. How many of you have had to have that conversation with your kids? I know you don't like this punishment right now. But if you remember the 37 seconds ago, I told you this is what would happen, right? So here we are, but but we're still there with our children, right? We're still there loving them, we're still present with them. And so God first establishes the basis of his love for his people is not about what they've done. They're not entitled. See, they think they're the good people, and Gods you know God's the one that's dropped the ball. God says, no, 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 you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. You're all bad people, and any any, any like... Amount of of presence you have for me is is simply a gift of grace. So the basis of his love is redefined, and that helps his people posture themselves rightly. Because when we have a a position of entitlement, we start to to look at whether or not God deserves our obedience, don't we? When we have a position of entitlement of, of what God should do for us and what God shouldn't do, now we start to look at God and go, Well, I don't know if he deserves our obedience this week. I've not really seen anything. That tells me that he loves me. God says, no, no, no. You need to understand the basis of my love is purely grace. This is why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous. Okay, I know some of you don't like us calling that out and naming pastors and preachers that are, that are, that are propagating that. This idea that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, that, like, that's actually just not what we see in the scriptures. Jesus says, come follow me. I don't, like birds have nests, foxes have dens. The son of man's got nowhere to lay his head. He's calling people a life of homelessness. We're fought like most of his early disciples ended up dying as martyrs. It doesn't line up with the prosperity gospel. And and the reason it's dangerous is because that's not God's plan for you. And if you think that it is, and you think you're entitled to it because of a decision you've made now, you're going to get really angry and bitter at God when he doesn't do that. Enter the people that Malachi is writing to. They feel like God has told them they will prosper. And God says, "I, I did say that. But you're very far from the people that I called you to be. So we've got some repenting to do. We've got some work to do. And I have a purpose in this suffering. Okay, so the basis of his love. Secondly, the nature of his love. What does it actually look like to be loved by God? Does it mean he gives us everything that we want? Parents, is that how you love your kids? Please don't. They'll be terrible. (laughs) Right? Nobody's going to want to be around them. If You love your kids that way. You give them everything they want, everything they ask for you're going to stop getting invites to people's houses. I'm just telling you. You wonder why you don't have friends. Just check that out if that's you. If you're, just, if you're the, the parent that wants to be their friend and you never want to tell them no, you're creating a little demon. It's not loving, right? We have to teach children discipline. We have to teach them that the world doesn't revolve around them. We have to teach them that there's a bigger uh, you know, a purpose in life than their wants and needs, and God is Reminding his people of the same thing. Because he's got a people of Judah that are going, listen, politically and economically, our life is terrible. And he's going, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, from the person of Jacob came the nation of Israel. And I promised you this is your purpose. This is my plan for you. If you didn't follow my laws, then you would be in exile, but we would restore it. we're We're not abandoning this plan. And from the person of Esau came the nation of Edom, the Edomites that are mentioned here. And he goes, yeah, I know that they haven't been sent into exile. They haven't been torn down. Their their nation has has seemed to profit in some ways. They've suffered some, but they might say, well, you know, tear it down. We're going to build it back up. They might have this boast of their own works, this boast of things are going pretty well. And they're over there, you know, Israelite. They're just a small remnant of the people that used to be. Not even everybody's come back from exile yet. It's just a few hundred thousand people in a place that used to be booming. And, and, and they're saying, listen, we are, like, I don't know that, like, some of them are probably going, Malachi, I don't know if you know what you're saying, bro. Because um, if you're comparing Israel to Edom, we probably mostly choose an Edom here. Right? But God says, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. He says, Esau's people, I've laid waste to their hill country. I left their heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says we've shattered, we are shattered, but we'll rebuild the ruins. God says they may rebuild, but but I'll tear it down, and they will be my people. They will be a people called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, "The great is the Lord." What, he's he's pointing to them, saying, "Listen, I know you look like your neighbors are prospering right now, but in the end, they are they won't." He's reminding them, and the nature of his love is not about blessings, and good gifts in the moment. The nature of God's love is about a future blessing and an everlasting presence. Again, I said earlier, presence, not with a T, because that's what we want. Bless me, Lord, give me this. You, you, You love me, God? Let me have this car. Let me have this prosperity. Let me have this person, whatever. Let, let things go well. And God doesn't promise that. But what he does promise is, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never walk away from you. I'll always be with you. So what he's reminding his people of is, yes, I know nationally it looks like things have gone really wrong. But listen, their end is destruction. It will not go well for them. Your end is prosperity. And your present is with me. And so God says, I- I've never left you. Yes, I love you, so I've disciplined you, but I've never left you. Your suffering has a purpose. You, you start to see how this fleshes out because both, he says, I, I'm going to destroy Edom. They're, they're going to have their time of judgment. They're not going to escape my judgment. But their judgment is only that. It's only judgment that leads to destruction. Your judgment was judgment that leads to healing and to future blessing of prosperity. Your judgment is, is God drawing near. And so Christian, you are going to suffer in this world. Following Jesus doesn't mean you have a bed of roses and everything will be easy. Here's the deal. The rest of the world is suffering greatly too. Jesus is lifting your head in that moment of suffering and saying, your suffering has a purpose. Your suffering won't be in vain. Because as, as Stacy said earlier, I'm writing a bigger story. He says, verse 5, your own eyes will see this. What a kind father. Picture him, again, talking to his children. You'll see it someday. How many of you have said that to your kids? One day you'll get it. Right? God's saying, your own eyes will see this. And you'll say, man, God is great even beyond the border of Israel. Because they're going, "What about Israel? What are you doing, Lord? I, you may have forgot about us. You, we're the people you promised to love. It's a mess in here. God goes, I, "I know. If you go all the way back to your history with Father Abraham, what I said was I would make him a nation that would bless all the nations of the world. You see, God has a, a, a plan. To get his good news message out to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people group of this world. Matthew 24 says that's his intention. Revelation 7 says that's who will be around the throne people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, God has a plan of redemption that he is writing, and he's using our circumstances well beyond what we can see to accomplish that goal. And we don't know all that he knows. We can't see all that he sees. But in the midst of our suffering, he says, you will find me. I will be there with you. Though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will not leave you. Like you, you don't fear any evil. I'm going to be there with you. He doesn't say, "Hey, come follow me. And we'll go around the valley of the shadow of death." He says, "No, no. Though you, you're in it, you're going to feel it. You're going to be there. I'll be there with you. And your suffering has a purpose. It's a refining fire. It's a purifying fire that exposes a people." Who are unshakably in love with a God who will never leave them, who are unshakably in love and in rest and in trust and relationship with a God whose love for them isn't based on their performance, whose love for them doesn't come and go based on how how good their morning has been or how well they've loved their family or anything like that. He's saying, my love for you is never based on what you've done. It's always based on what I've done. Jesus says. We've sang about it this morning. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Chad reminded us of that as we walked into communion. Jesus gave us this meal to say, when you start to forget, I want you to remember. Remember, child of God. What's your life like right now? Are you tempted to have beef with the Lord and and say, I don't know if I trust you right now. I know I'm supposed to love you and all, but I got I got some got some issues. I want you to go back to the meal that we took earlier, and I want you to hear God's kind voice through his spirit lifting your head back to a kid kid that's in trouble doesn't want to look you in the eye, do they? Heads down, pulling away. How many of you have done that? Lifted your child's chin. Look at me. Look at me. This is our Father saying, look at me. I've loved you. I've always loved you. I know it's not what you thought it would be right now but I've left you my blood was shed for you my body was broken for you I've secured a future for you I have a purpose for you you're not wandering aimlessly and I have not left you and listen here's the good news he doesn't expect you to just put on your smile and get up and go okay cool Children don't do that, do they? Snot, sniffles, right? (laughs) Uh, but, but, But the moment of reconciliation is whenever you're able to put them in your arms, right? You just let them lay there. You just hold them. This is the word from our God. People of God, children of God, I love you. I'm I'm here. I love you. Go ahead and weep. If that's what you need to do. There's space for that. Go ahead and ask questions. There's space for that. But don't let your heart go to a place where you start to believe that God has abandoned you. That God doesn't love you. When you get to that moment, you lift your eyes and you'll see the cross and you'll see a bloody Savior saying this, Romans 5, this is how God has showed his love to the world, that while you were still sinners, you haven't done anything to earn this, you're not entitled to Jesus on the cross, but I love you, you wonder if he loves you, lift your eyes and see your Savior sprawled out on a cross, his flesh wounded, his blood pouring out, and that screaming out into eternity, I love you, I have not left you I've made a way for you, and I have a future for you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, do what I cannot and, and speak truth over every heart in here, over every circumstance, every pain, every struggle, every fear. And I pray that your love would overwhelm your people. There's a lot of yeah, buts going on. I just sense that there's a lot of yeah, buts going on right now in people's minds, that they feel like they're the exception. They feel like their circumstances is beyond. They feel like they're too far gone. They feel like they don't know where to start. I pray that they would sense you, their good Father, just stepping near to them, getting down on their level as you descended from heaven into this earth and lifting our heads. I pray that your people would see you gazing at them, making eye contact with them, and and insisting that they look up and see your love. I pray that you would do that kind of work personally and corporately here today. I don't know all of the situations, but you do. And I pray that you would just kindly allow your people to sense your presence and your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Hey, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it would be my privilege. It would be the person sitting next to you's privilege to introduce him to you, to pray with you, tell him how you can meet him. If you're here and you relate a lot to the people of God that Malachi is writing to, but that's kind of the default in your heart, okay, God, how have you loved me? Because I'm not feeling it. Then would you come and sit or maybe right where you are just invite him to, to speak to you and, and just respond maybe sing this song as a prayer and let's respond together the altar's open as always I'll be over here, chat over there, we'd love to pray with you but let's respond together as a people who have heard from our Savior the burden from Malachi is that God loves you let's respond